This is Marcia Stonehill with Melty Ice. Today with me on Operation Flow, I have the privilege of having a conversation with Carolyn Curtis, who is an advanced practice registered nurse. Uh, Carolyn comes to us with a wealth of experience and I'm gonna read her bio. Hang with me here, because it's a beautiful bio. Ever since she was a little girl, Carolyn wanted to be a nurse and in high school decided that she wanted to continue that dream and become a midwife. In her senior year of high school, Carolyn began her nursing education at the Vocational Training Institute in Leonardtown, Maryland, and then went to Catholic University to complete her bachelor's degree in nursing. After working for a couple of years as a nurse, Carolyn was accepted into Georgetown University's Nurse Midwife Certificate Program. At the age of 24, she completed her midwife training and began working as a nurse midwife, working in both Philadelphia and the Washington, D.C. areas. As a young midwife at Booth Maternity Center, Carolyn really learned how to care for women holistically. She returned to Washington, D.C., where she directed a nationally recognized program for pregnant teens called Cities in Schools, and later served as the director of the Division of Nurse Midwifery at DC Health and Hospitals Public Benefit Corporation. There, she expanded midwife services to eight neighborhood clinics throughout Washington, DC. Carolyn also furthered her education with a master's degree in nursing from Catholic University and a post-master's certificate in adult education from the University of Pennsylvania. In 2001, Carolyn's childhood prayer to work abroad was, an was answered. As the Senior Public Health Advisor for the United States Agency for International Development, her work took her to more than 26 countries and to Ethiopia where she lived for three years. In this position, Carolyn oversaw family planning and maternal child health projects. She also co-authored numerous articles and two joint consensus statements on post-abortion family planning that continues to be used in 124 countries to improve medical and midwife education and national policies. Carolyn has served on the faculty of numerous schools of nursing, including Howard University, Charles Drew University, University of Alabama at Birmingham, Case Western Reserve, and the Frontier School of Nursing, where she taught students both in the classroom and in the clinical setting. Carolyn has loved, loved, loved her work, and her calling has been recognized by numerous awards that she received. In 2022, she received the Lifetime Visionary Award from the American College of Nurse Midwives, its highest award. She was also inducted into the American Academy of Nursing, which represents the top 1% of nurses globally. Currently, Carolyn continues her work as the CEO and founder of her organization, the Carib Company, PLLC, where she provides consultation services in global health and maternal and child health. In September, she will be returning to Ethiopia on a medical missions team to provide healthcare services. Wow. <laughs> Carolyn, 
the wealth of experience you bring to us. I can't thank you enough for joining us on Operation Flow and allowing our listeners to be inspired and learn from your experiences. Marcia, I have enjoyed my career. Um, I feel like it was a calling from God, to be honest. And uh, I really have enjoyed everything that I've done. And I'm so humbled that you have asked me to participate with you in this podcast. So thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you. So what is... What you know when you, you know that this podcast is hitting on you know social justice topics, and uh, when you and I were talking in preparation for this podcast, we talked about the uh, experiences you bring to to share with us about specifically Black women in midwifery. Can you tell us? Um, and this is extensive throughout your family as well, right? Yeah. Most recently, um, I had a family member who I didn't even know was a family member, an extended family member, uh, contact me and ask me if I would be willing to talk about black midwives. Um, And also, this is the first time that I learned that there were midwives in my family. I had no idea. This was last month. Um, And so I did some digging. I mean, she had also begun some of the research and shared that with me. And I had also heard some of the history of black midwives in the United States. Um, It comes with uh, a rich history and also a very sad history. Um, As we know, uh, midwives came over. They were a very important part of the slave trade. Uh, They came over uh, to the United States from Africa. as a part of the slave trade and were seen as a very important, uh, what I will use the word commodity. I don't like to use that word, but that was how they are considered. Uh, slaves were considered property. Mm-hmm. And if you were a midwife, you were had more value. Mm-hmm. And why was that? Because um, if we remember the slave trade was officially ended, I'd have to go back and look at the dates, but there was a long period of time after the slave trade ended that slavery continued here in the United States. And so the question is, well, then where did the slaves come from? The slaves came from, I hate to say this term too, the breeding, Mm -hmm. uh, because we as blacks were treated as animals, treated as property. It was the breeding of the slaves to be able to have more uh, workforce. Uh, The children were seen as a workforce. And so the midwife was seen as a very important person because she was the one who helped to take care of these women during their pregnancies, to help with their birth. Um, And so therefore she was considered very, very important. Also, she was important because she even helped the slave owners' wives when they had their babies. Mm. In regard to keeping records, the midwife was the one who knew which babies were born. So if you wanted to get some historical accounting as to when families were split up, uh, sold from one place to the other, the midwife had those records in regard to who went where, 
uh, who was born to who. So she had a very, very important role. Um, the other two is the midwife was seen as very important in the community because she uh, was able to travel outside of the local area that she lived in to take care of women, say on another farm plantation. And so she was seen as a big um, community advocate and also one who could join and foster the community. So she had a very, very important role. What happened in our society here in the United States was then the whole medicalization of birth, which started to happen around the 1920s. Mm -hmm. um, anesthesia was introduced in Europe before it was introduced here in America. And so to be able to use anesthesia, women needed to be into the hospital setting. And there was also um, the desire, of course, that brings more money um, to be able to have your baby where you can get anesthesia, and it was money for the general practitioners. So there was an actual uh, move to move birth from home into hospital, and for women who had economic means, this was an option available to them. The other thing, though, was to try to assist with this was a real deliberate uh, demeaning of the black midwife um, by blaming them for infections that occurred. But what we know is once birth got moved into the hospitals, there were great maternal death rates uh, because of the um, unsanitary means uh, that went on. So there was an actual campaign where uh, midwives had to undergo more rigorous, and I'm not suggesting that it's not a pro it's a problem to be licensed and to meet certain standards. I'm not suggesting that at all. But this was used to force people out of practice and to uh, really force the, the, the black midwives out of practice. Now we wish we had them because we are now facing in the United States, we are having a higher maternal mortality rate uh, in the last two years. The maternal mortality rate has increased by 41%. Mm, wow. And that's horrible. Yeah. Um, and that's because of many factors, um, because of not caring for women properly. In that regard, you know, it's, I think a lot of women, and I don't know what you would say about this, Carolyn, don't realize, a lot of women today don't realize the history of what women have had to fight for in decades yes. past. Yes. And especially, and especially, of course, women of color. Mm -hmm. Um but all women in general, right? And then and then they don't understand then the red flags that you and I might understand because of the history that we know. And this is why it's so important to talk about this history, to talk about what was real and to talk about what we still need to fight for. So that fight goes on two different uh, fields. One fight is to increase the number of health providers of color 
um, so that they are able to, and I'm not going to suggest that just because I'm black that I'm going to understand all the needs of every black woman that I see. Um, but sometimes because you look like me, I feel more comfortable talking with you. The other is, um, so that's one, but the other is what are the issues related to that? I can share with you some experiences that I have had as a black healthcare provider and as a nurse midwife. In my first position at Booth Maternity Center, um, that was an, it was like the Mecca for midwifery in the United States. I really learned how to practice midwifery there. I will never uh, want to give up that experience. I went there for four months as an intern to learn uh, more, you know, to hone my skills better after I finished midwife school at Georgetown. And I was provided a position to stay on. I was asked to stay on. And with that, we had uh, student mid um, trainees. They were not students. They were students in terms of that refresher program. So we had midwives who had trained in other countries who were much more seasoned than me. But for them to practice in the United States, they had to go through this four-month refresher program. And then there were midwives who had finished their training here in the U.S. and they, like me, wanted more time to better uh, perfect their skills. When you are the staff midwife, you were in charge of these students, um, mentees, let's say, and you often were the charge midwife on whatever shift that you were on. And so I was the charge midwife for the evening shift. And as I do, um, and as any practitioner does, they will, as they start their shift, they would go around to visit all the patients that they had, to introduce themselves to them, to ensure that if there were any concerns or problems that you knew that up front, that you could address those things early on. And so as I made my rounds, um, I came upon um, one of our patients, a white woman, and I will let you know that we had a very eclectic per, uh, clientele. I loved it there because we served you no matter what method of payment. Dr. Franklin was um, the CE of the chief medical officer there, and he made sure that there was no information on type of insurance on the chart. We had patients there that were Medicaid patients, self-pay patients, barter patients, physicians' wives private insurance, the whole gamut. So I walked into the room and um, to introduce myself to one of the women in labor, she was in early labor, a white woman, and her response to me even before I could introduce myself was, well, I'm not finished with my tray. Hmm. Her assumption was that I was the kitchen staff, the housekeeping staff that had come by to take her tray. And my response to her was, well, that's fine, but I'm not here for your tray. I am the chief midwife that's on, and I'm here to make sure that you are okay, to see if you have any concerns or questions, and to just make sure that everything is good for you. And this is exactly where we are now, you know, post post-George Floyd incident where we are, as a nation, being challenged to look at our implicit biases and, 
and and what you're speaking there is a perfect example of that and what I often say uh, is I don't think we can even know what our biases are until it comes rolling out of our mouth Uh, We have to engage in the conversations and we have to be able to uh, shift our thinking and take ownership of what does come rolling out and and correct it. Uh, I think that takes a lot of confidence and people often are more defensive than they are confident. But as nurses and in the nursing profession, I want to challenge our profession that this is what we must do. As nurses, we need to take the leadership in helping our society address these biases and grow out of and away from them. So I have a couple other experiences. This did not occur just in the beginning of my career. It even occurred um, even once I had practiced midwifery for over 20 years and began in the international health arena. When I was um, directing the, I was the chief medical, uh, chief midwife, let's say, for the teen pregnancy program, cities and schools. The midwives there, we were the first midwives to get hospital privileges at Georgetown. Um, And those midwives were, two of the three were black midwives. Um, Even there as a student midwife, we were not allowed to practice at Georgetown. And so I would say that as a nurse practitioner of color, a um, and I'm gonna say this not just for nurse midwives, but for other uh, advanced practice nurses of color, you are also continuing to deal with biases because it's like, who are you? I mean, it's not the belief that you have the educational and knowledge and know it all, I mean, know with all, what, what do I want to say, the with all, to be able to be in those roles. And so it's not only, it's kind of a double whammy. It's, I'm now the advanced practice nurse who's giving orders to other nurses who they themselves don't want to accept you in your role as an advanced practice nurse. And then doubled on that is that I'm now coming as a midwife or advanced practice nurse of color, which is now like two things I'm needing to balance. There were many times um, at Georgetown, um, my colleague was humiliated um, with a resident doctor pretty much Mm. pointing his finger in her face, Mm. saying you should not do this or whatever. And she pretty much had to help him understand his place mm-hmm. um, I've had to do that as well but also with my nursing colleagues is to say I know my role I think I know my role better than you will ever know my role it is not your job to call to do these contacts you know generally you want to stay in touch with the doctors that you're working with to be able to help them understand what's going on with the patients that you're caring for and so that they're not caught off guard if any emergencies or problems should arise. Part of it is to just say, I know what I'm doing. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm doing. Um, that was another um, place and also working in DC General, having to work with the nursing staff to say, 
I know my role better than you will know my role. And that was with black nurses. Um, it was the issue of being the advanced practice nurse who is now giving the orders and they are to follow your orders if they are resisting that uh, role. Um, when I joined the United States Agency for International Development, I had white nurse midwife colleague, a colleague who had never talked to me before and then kind of questioned like, how are you at USAID? As if to infer that how 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 did you get that position? I got that position because I was interviewed, because I they wanted my background of twenty some years of clinical practice to be able to carry into the international arena. I knew no one at the agency, and it was thought. So how did you get this job? So again, this thought of who are you that you should be in this position? Well, I'm in this position for many reasons. One, I feel that God placed me here. Um, I also did come after working hard mm-hmm. and showed my um, showed my uh, my experience, showed that I could do this work. I was it was one of the hardest interviews I ever went through, mm-hmm. and yet one person there who I have thanked, a white woman who I have thanked, said to me, "You can learn the agency. We want your background." And I had tried very hard to get into international health. It's a very tough uh, field to break into. Um, and um, I, I've thanked her many times for just opening the door for me to go in. I had not done any international health by that time. And mostly everyone else in my office was there. What was kind of their, let's, let's say implicit requirement was that they had done some sort of work or lived abroad. And I, I never had that experience, uh, either from a financial standpoint. Uh, it costs a lot of money to do an internship abroad, particularly if you have to pay for that. Um, that was not possible for me. So I, I thanked my white colleague who said, we want your experience. You are bringing the right skill set this is what we need to be able to do this job. I was there for 20 years, just about. Mm. Yes. Carolyn, where time goes so fast, we said that we wanted to keep this uh, this particular uh, part of our podcast series uh, limited to 20 to 30 minutes so that people will listen. And yes. you do bring so much in experience and so much knowledge. I do hope that you will consider doing more parts in the future that yes. we can have yes. more conversations. What uh, What is the takeaway that you want people to take from this particular conversation today? Um, a quick summary, I think, is that um, number one, if you, you should go after your dreams. Um, yes. I felt um, very blessed that I kind of knew what I wanted to do when I was young. Number two is that you have to persist um, in those dreams, um, that there will be naysayers, um, and those naysayers are naysaying not 
so much because they know who you are or they know your background, but because of the color of your skin, they may provide uh, barriers for you to be able to do your work. Um, but you have to persist, uh, let them know that you know who you are, you know what you're there for. Uh, I'm there to serve the population that I was called to serve. Um, and that that's, this is going to be, I feel this is an area, I have, I'm a woman of faith, um, and I will say that we never talk about, you don't hear preach often in churches about racism as being sin. Right. And I think it's, and it's something that we, if, until we start to look at it in that way, we will put it off. Um, it is a thing of where I'm better than you based upon X, Y, Z, triple A to triple Z. And we need to begin to look at this in, in that concept and in, in that way. I think once we can do that, um, that might help us to uh, address it. The other is that because it is that sort of a thing, I think it's going to be something that no matter how much we work on this personally, interpersonally with others, that this will be something that will continue to come up. Um, that will continue to be around us. We should not be uh, uh, surprised by that, um, but ready to address it. Yes. Um, and so I really appreciate the fact that you're using your podcast to be to look at these issues. And uh, I look forward to continuing to work with you with that. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I think your summary may have led us right into what our next podcast can be as well. I uh, thank you so much for being with us today, and we look forward to having you back. Thank you.